Welcome to the Downhouse podcast, where you can learn more about Downhouse School. Whether you're new to the community or an old friend, we'll be delving deeper, sharing stories and finding out what it really means to be a pupil at Downhouse. In our third series, we'll be talking to our wonderful alumni. And in this episode, our host, Simon Jones, talks to Elizabeth Jenkin, class of 1990, about the importance of aspiration, one of the characteristics in our DNA. Elizabeth, thank you for being here and welcome to this episode of the Downhouse podcast. How are you today? Hi, Simon. I'm great, thank you. I'm, I'm fresh off the back of a 2022 project meeting with lots of great ideas and the team working really closely together, so I'm feeling buzzy. Awesome, awesome. That sounds like a very productive kind of meeting in that case. I'd love to understand a bit more about yourself and your time at Downhouse and how it's shaped you into the person that you are today. But first of all, for the sake of people listening, can you tell us when you were at Downhouse, which years you were there from and to? Yeah, so I was there, I left in 1990, so I guess I was there from 82, I think, 82 to 1990. Yes, that sounds about right. Sorry, I haven't done my research on my dates a long time ago. (laughs) No, that's totally good. So you finished then in 1990, that's finishing A-levels in 1990, is that right? I went all the way from removes all the way up to A-levels, so I was there for my whole time. And then where did you go after you left, after you finished your A-levels? Oh, well, therein lies a story. So I went to study English and music at Roehampton. And the reason I went there is because it wasn't the university I wanted to go to, but I'd messed up my A-levels a bit. So I ended up going to Roehampton for a year and then dropping out, just deciding to fall out of higher education altogether and take my chances in the, in the working environment. So, so yes, not a traditional route. Not a traditional route, but clearly you ended up where you are now. So everything worked out in the end in that case. But tell me, when you were at the school, did you have any idea as to the career path you wanted to take? I didn't. Well, I was very much English and music focused at that time. And I remember having quite strong views that I wanted to be a music critic. And and so English and music played into that really well. But then when I dropped out of university and I'd been studying music and English there, there was a big sort of pivot really for me. It was it was more about, well, I need to get a job and I need to earn some money. I've got A-levels, but I've got no degree. So so where do I go? Where do I start? And I ended mm. up going into insurance uh, very early on and then finding my way through that. But, you know, I, I don't regret the path I took, but it definitely means I took the stairs instead of the lift. <laughs> and was insurance something that you were especially keen on or was it just a, an industry that you just kind of came across as you were looking at different options? Yeah, I li- literally came across it and started. I cut my teeth in the customer services department, which often sounds, oh, customer services. But actually, I learned such a huge amount about what an end customer wants. And ultimately, wherever you are in an organization, you are serving customers, whether you are a CEO or whether you are building technology, whether you are head of operations, you are serving customers. So to be on the cold face of that taught me a lot about an audience that I will eventually serve as I do now in in a more of a leadership position. So so it was Mm. great. And then so I, I ran a kind of southwest division there, and then I was asked to transfer into London, into Canary Wharf, to go into underwriting, which I did, and I, <laughs> I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> I think would be, would be the best way to put it. I'm sure I said yes to more risks than I should have done, and luckily Aon then came along and said, "Would you like to come broking?" And I went to Aon for 19 years and had a really great career there. 
and worked my way through the organization, loving doing broking. It was really, you know, doing deals and doing deals where you get a good outcome for both sides. So there's this you're okay, I'm okay kind mm. of deals and, and learning how to put those together, big global deals and, and, and loved my time. But after 19 years, was just ready to move on. Went into reinsurance mm. and then now I'm in insure tech. So I've got quite a colorful CV. Well, it all sounds interesting. And, and I'm loving this concept that ultimately everybody is serving customers. And you, you touched on the idea that, you know, even if you're not in a role where you are dealing with customers of a of a business, that we all, I, I think you were sort of indicating that we all do sort of have customers. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, it's, it's who we serve and it's who, it's where our revenue comes from. So if we're not delighting customers, then we're doing something wrong. And if the customer isn't at the center of every conversation we have, every product we build, every operation we improve, then we're not, then we're not having the right conversation. And you mentioned as well that you wanted to be a music critic to start off with. What was it about being a music critic that appealed to you? Oh, <laughs> I think that the reality would have been quite different. I think it's very difficult. And I, I raised, I've got three children that I'm raising. It's very difficult at 13, 14, 15 to really be thinking about long-term careers unless, you know, it's that classic sort of doctor, lawyer career. There, there's a lot of, of mm. new opportunities out there now. And, uh, you know, thinking back to my days, my, my children get a lot more help, I think, in, in their career journey now and in terms of the advice that they get. We, we got advice mm-hmm. at Downhouse, but it was it was a bit more limited than, than I see now. And yeah, so Music Critic was on my list. How, re- how realistic that was, I think, was, was probably... <laughs> I'm not sure I would have stuck it or been good enough. Okay, so you mentioned about Downhouse, and let's talk about education just for a moment. I mean, on the subject of aspiration, which is kind of the, the theme of this podcast episode, why do you feel like aspiration is an important topic to be discussed and nurtured within the educational environment? So the way I... The way I see it and the way I remember it and my journey at Downhouse is those teachers who led you to aspire to things. And, and that is the, that's the educational environment, I think. It's not about passing exams. And if we go yeah. into schools thinking that it's just about passing exams, we're, we're not serving our children well. What you want to do, you want to have those children going into a classroom and being inspired to aspire to things. And that's, mm. that's true great teaching to me. And that's what I hope for for my children. And that's what I got most of the time from downhouse teachers is that they would inspire you to aspire yourself to, to go out and do, do things and serve the community. I love that. Being inspired to aspire to things. I'm going to remember that for sure. I'd love to understand then how you feel like that may have helped you in your career and also what you feel like your biggest achievement in your career may have been to date? I think one of the best things from Downhouse is that I never felt that being a woman was a barrier for me. Mm. So I grew up in a feminist school. It was founded by a feminist. It had feminist values. So when I hit the workplace, I didn't hit the workplace thinking, I don't belong here, I shouldn't be here, I'm different to everybody else. I felt like an equal coming into the workplace. It doesn't quite work like that as as you progress through your career, but that was a, I remember feeling very strongly or certainly in retrospect looking back that I felt 
I felt no different to my male counterparts coming into the workplace. And Downhouse laid a lot of that foundation, along with my family mm. and, a, and, a, and a working mother and, and father. And how old are your children? So I have a 15-year-old boy, so taking his GCSEs this year, so that's great excitement. And then a 12-year-old boy and a 9-year-old girl. Right. Gosh. Wow. OK, so you've got a good spread there, and, 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 and I'm sure it's, it's all good fun in, in the home household. So I'd love to understand then a little bit more about about your career because you know clearly there've been high points and I imagine some some setbacks as well. Have you had any setbacks that you can think of and if so how did you uh, without going into too much detail how did you manage to overcome those? Yeah, so so setbacks are always dif- difficult to talk about, I think. I'm not sure I would put it as a setback. But managing a family and a career at the same time is very challenging. And you need a very strong partner to be doing that with, I think, you know, if you are going to succeed as a family. So that was, that was tough. I think I would put that down as tough rather than a setback. It did, I did notice a lot of my male counterparts raced ahead as I, as I took my foot off the pedal quite a lot at that stage in my career. So I could, I could spend time when I wanted to, and I don't regret it in the slightest. And what's interesting, actually, is if, if, you, if women do stay in the workplace, and I hope the audience that I'm talking to do, is around the age of 50, women's careers start to really take off and men's tend to plateau because the sort of child-raising years are behind them and then they can sort of really knuckle down and concentrate. And, and if they've managed to keep, keep going on through, they then have a great trajectory onwards. So I hit 50 this year. So I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to onwards and upwards. I, I love this approach. And I love the idea of hitting 50 and then seeing that as a, as a platform to, you know, to accelerate growth. It almost kind of makes me think about Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic, where it sort of launches from already at a high place. And here you are at this kind of level and looking to accelerate further. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I've still got a lot of growth and learning to do. I mean, I'm a CEO of a tech company, tech and insurance company. I know very little about technology. You know, I've got venture capitalist backers. I need to understand more about that. There's so much that I can still learn and grow. And I have, my family are still a bit, a little bit young. I have a nine-year-old, but I do have more time now, more flexibility to, to devote to work. And so I can... I can really, yeah, accelerate my own, my own personal and professional growth now at the age of 50. I would never have thought that. Mm. And what are those areas that you'd like to grow looking, you know, over the next 10 years, for example? I'm very lucky. I have a board portfolio. So I sit on the board of a big insurance company. I sit on the board of a big, uh, so an underwriter. I sit on the board of a big broker. And I sit on the board of the women's football in the FA. So I've got this lovely spread of seeing how other people run their businesses. And, and I get to advise and, and opine on, on how they do that. And it's really taking those learnings in and what, what can I use that's relevant in my workplace to make it better and better. I'm running a, a scale-up business at the moment. In 10 years' time, I would love that to be a massive global business. Now, to get it from there... Mm from here to there I've got some of the skills I certainly haven't got all of them I'm going to need a lot of help to do that not least from my founder who's who's, who's backed me in in trying to do this and you know and being able to learn from teams that teams that you bring in and I'm really excited to do that uh, I'm excited by the challenge but I'm also excited that I will I'll give him the privilege of being of learning on the job 
And you mentioned about being on the board of the Women's FA. Tell us what that's like then. It's phenomenal. So Sue Campbell, who's the head of women's football, she's one of the most inspirational people to work with because she aspires to great things for that team. And one of the things that I've really learned through her, actually, is taking a grassroots player and supporting them. If whatever happens to that little five-year-old who wants to play football, if they want to be playing walking football at 80, or if they want to be playing for England, or if they want to be playing in the local league on a Sunday, it's the FA's responsibility to find a way to keep that player playing. And Mm. you can transpose a lot of the learnings of that into business. So you take people into your business, you employ people. Mm -hmm. How do you support them in every every branch of their journey as as they come through? And people come and go through the organisation. I never mind people leaving, to be honest, as long as they're going off to do something exciting. It's about when they're with us, when they're in this part of their journey, how do we best support them in their growth and development and make sure that they are getting the most out of it? The other thing that's important about sport and, and, and girls in sport particularly is that the, the research says that if girls can stay in sport and not fall out of it, they have better relationships, more than, they're less likely to self-harm, they're less likely to have eati, eating disorders. So there's a lot more than just kicking a ball around that's involved in, in women in sport. So it's, it's very inspirational from that point of view and, and to be involved in it is, is an absolute joy now of course downhouse being a girls school uh, you're talking to someone right here who's got two daughters how long will we continue calling things like this women's fa and women's football as opposed to fa and football <laughs> yes well hopefully not too much longer yes it's like woman doctor isn't it i'm going to see a woman doctor or a woman lawyer and i'm not sure that we need to be differentiated like that we're just lawyers and doctors it's it's fine mm. i i don't know i mean i think it's a really good question. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure I've got the answer to it. I, I would love to get to a world where we're all treated equally, but until that time, we're going to be segregated by labelled as men and women. Well, there's, there's a large number of people that are supporting you with that. Uh, sadly, not everybody yet, but, but it won't be long, I'm sure, before everybody is. Now, I believe that you returned to Downhouse in June last year as a mentor for the Downhouse Links programme. And you worked with the current lower sixth form girls during their introduction to sixth form week. What qualities do you think makes a good leader? Well, first of all, I was absolutely blown away by the maturity of these girls. I mean, I don't remember mm. being that mature when I was in the lower six. Yeah, they, they really were They're a credit to the school and a credit to themselves and some fantastic relationships going on there and some incredibly creative thinking. We were create we were doing a a campaign around skin coloured plasters and um, what they came up with in, I don't know, an hour or two was absolutely incredible. Any marketing company should go and scoop them up. But in terms of what makes a good leader, things that I still work on and I aspire to is a lot of listening, two ears, one mouth, use them in that order, constant Mm -hmm. communicating, so constantly speaking to people so that people understand the direction of the travel of the business really creating that clear plan for the business, which you can only do if you've listened. Getting out of people's way. I think I've seen other leaders wanting to get involved in everything all the time. I think there's a real art, and I'm still learning it, about knowing when to get the hell out of there and just let that team get on with it. If you've, if you've set the goal, if you've set the vision, if you've got the right team, if they're inspired and all pointed in the right direction, you, really, you probably don't need to do much more there. Just let, let them get on with it. 
is that the idea of sort of working more so on the business instead of in the business exactly so there's a lot of things that go on running a business that frankly the workforce don't really care about very much they you know and neither should they and it's just important that I communicate what I am working on whilst I've set the vision for them so that they know they know in verticals what they're working on but also horizontally I always talk about looking horizontally across a business and the Mm -hmm. minute we go into verticals we go into silos and people don't know what each other is working on so for example this morning we had a goal sharing meeting so I would turn up and I say, right, one of my goals is to do this. In order to hit my goal, I need this from you, I need this from you, and I need this from you. And so you create these verbal contracts between people, and it's all out in the Mm -hmm. open, and everybody's heard it. And so there's much more accountability around it. And I think there's, and so once you've done all of that, and everybody has heard what they need from each other, I don't need to get too involved after that. I can mm. tweak around the edges. I, I often say I'm like the flippers on a pinball machine, you know, when, when it starts to go too far down or it looks like the hole's going, the ball's going to fall through the hole. And that, that I'm, I'm there with, with the flippers just to get people back on track again. But not, yeah, nose in, fingers out, I suppose. And, and how do you stay sharp in the things that you do when, when you're at work? I'm thinking about where you get your own learning and development from. Do you, do you listen to... Do you listen to other podcasts? Do you, do you gain inspiration from YouTube videos of, of people that are speaking? How do you go about that? I read when I can. Honestly, as a mother of three, I'd love to do more podcasts and reading, but there's, there's not a lot of time left in my day. I have the, an amazing network of friends. I run a not-for-profit called Lift As You Climb, and I'd love the, the reader, the, the children actually who might be listening to this to go and check it out because we're just about to launch a mentor-mentee program. And as they're coming out of school, it might help them to be able to, uh, it's all free, um, they might be able to connect with mentors in organisations or, or careers that they're interested in. And it, it algorithmically matches mentors to mentees, and then you can go off and actually have real-life conversations with people. So within that work, I have the most tremendous network that I can reach out to and and take learning from. I also, mm. um, on, on my board work, I have a tremendous amount. I see a tremendous amount of leadership. I see a tremendous amount of strategy. So I'm able to sort of pick and choose some of the best bits from that and take, take that back. And I, I have the luxury of giving things a go. And if, if they don't work, it's okay. And we move on to the next thing. It doesn't have to be perfect all the time and I think we hold ourselves particularly as females to very high standards around it's got to be perfect it's got to be perfect and it hasn't really failing is is fine it it is absolutely fine and it does make it does make things better in the end and you mentioned lift as you climb just tell us a little bit more about that and where people can find out more about that as well yeah, so this started back in 2017 with a, a dear friend of mine called Jane Gibbon. And we had been to a number of different networking events. So I always ended up at insurance networking events. She ended up at HR networking events. And they, you generally met the same people, probably of the same age, probably of the same colour as you, obviously in the same industry as you, the same gender as you. You probably earned about the same money, so you have similar social class. And you're not, that's not really networking. That is not <laughs> really networking. And there's a lot of business school research that says women network differently. 
And mm. networking for women is essential if they want to move on in their careers because it's because th they get stuck. So so we thought, oh, we'll, we'll try and do it differently. So what we do is we do any industry and any any age, basically. So it's almost like a family. So if you imagine grandmothers learn from granddaughters and granddaughters learn from grandmothers. And mm. so this wisdom that comes from from people of older generations, but also the wisdom that comes from the younger generations should be shared and pooled. Mm. And that's where mm. Lift As You Climb was born. And we started in kind of in a pub in Soho and we had about 30 people and we now have a network of over 500 and so that's the Lift As You Climb network and then we have the Rise platform which we've just launched which is around mentoring because mentoring is the single biggest game changer for women, single biggest one by far and we want to make sure that we're making access to women for free. So we've got funders, we've got investors who really believe that we want to do that and we're partnering with charities to get disadvantaged women who don't have necessarily any role models, leadership role models. They haven't seen it. You've got to see it to be it, is the expression. And we can connect them into this incredible network of women who are willing to give up their time to, mm. to help, help others. So lifting and climbing, it, it plays, into, plays into that nicely. So we're very proud of it. And where can people find out about that online? So if you go to liftasyouclimb.co.uk, and you click through to the Rise platform from there and sign up as a, a mentor or a mentee. So I'm sure there's a lot of mums out there who could get involved in it, please, and a lot of students as well. So at the moment, we're putting as many people onto the platform as possible. And then once we've got a, a critical mass, we can then start to properly match people in. Awesome. That really does sound amazing. Elizabeth, we need to bring this to a close now, but I just wanted to say thank you for being here. Thanks for giving up your time. I, I know that you're especially busy, but I appreciate you being here at lunchtime, talking to us about this and explaining how the school has shaped you into the person you are today. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Downhouse. So that was alumna Elizabeth Jenkin talking all about aspiration and her journey since leaving Downhouse in 1990. Thank you, Elizabeth, for joining us on this episode of the podcast. It was really good hearing from you. And if you'd like to find out more about Lift As You Climb, then you can check out the website at www.liftasyouclimb.co.uk. That's all for this episode. Our next one is coming out soon. But in the meantime, don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.